Things in the Middle East seem to be going from bad to worse. The so-called peace process between Israel and the Palestinians is, I suppose to put it charitably, stalled. The temperature between Israel and Iran rises ominously. Israeli settlements in the occupied territories are accelerating, not diminishing. The squabble between Hamas and Fatah in Palestine seems to have no end. One cannot escape the conclusion that something's got to give. The question is what? Today we hear from two sides of the argument, if you like. First, Mustafa Barghouti, a presidential candidate in the last Palestinian election, who's been active since in seeking unity among Palestinian factions. And then later I'll talk to Dor Sapira, a spokesman for the Israeli embassy in Canberra. I asked Mustafa Barghouti, is the peace process effectively dead? Well, it was dead anyhow. I mean, I don't think we had a peace process that would die because we already had a dead situation before this last crisis started. For many years, there was something called the peace process, which was nothing but a cover for the fact that there was no peace. And uh, the peace process itself became a substitute to having peace. And that was really ridiculous. Most recently, there was a complete freeze of any peace process, and there, was, there were efforts to initiate a peace process. But obviously, because of Israeli positions, especially on the issue of continuing to build settlements, it looks impossible to start it. And those settlements are being uh, continued to be built, uh, and it seems as if the Israeli government has decided to defy world opinion and just go straight ahead. Absolutely, because this Israeli government, uh, where, uh, which represents uh, more what, how it looks, it looks like they represent mainly the interest of settlers, and it seems that the settlers' party is the strongest in Israel today. This government obviously feels totally imperative to international law, to international humanitarian law, and feels completely unaccountable. And it did not sense yet at the international community level any serious indication that they will be held accountable for this attitude. What do you expect of the international community? What is it that can break the circuit here? I think what would change the situation if the international community is fair enough to say uh, to Israel, enough is enough. You've reached a critical point where any more settlement activities will simply mean killing the option of two-state solution and killing the possibility of peace based on two-state solution. That the Israeli government behavior has reached a critical point of irreversibility and thus a whole possibility of historical compromise between Palestinians and Israelis is just about to be lost. And if the international community says to Israel that such attitude will mean that there will be acts of, uh, of that hold Israel accountable from international community, like suspending military cooperation with Israel, like suspending foreign aid to Israel, like uh, a price that would be paid for this policy which is destroying the future of both Palestinians and Israelis, then there will be immediately a change. I believe in that. But as long as Israel feels impunitive, above international law, and capable even of changing the opinion and position of the uh, president of the largest uh, power in the world, which is the United States, they would continue this aggressive attitude 
which is really harming the future of everybody here. There, there have been some straws in the wind here. One of them, a suggestion in the United States Congress to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. How do you interpret that? Well, this is one uh, one of the acts that encourage Israel uh, to be uh, to continue its behaviour. It encourages uh, occupation. It encourages violation of international law. And uh, I think people who are behind such move are destroying also the interest of the Jewish people, not only Palestinians, but also Jewish people, because they are consolidating in this manner a system of apartheid, a system of segregation that is much worse than what prevailed in South African apartheid system at one point of time. There is nothing to be proud about in creating racist discrimination and segregation and apartheid at the end of the at the beginning of the 21st century, and allowing Israel to do uh, to continue this policy and then encouraging it further by talking about considering Jerusalem, part of which is occupied and illegally annexed uh, as capital of Israel. This is like encouraging. Uh, uh, somebody who is doing uh, uh, wrong to do even more wrong. You use the word apartheid, which is interesting. Uh, you yourself have been preaching nonviolence in the in 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 the context of the Middle East for a long time. Isn't it too late now for that? As it was for the ANC, who was not, which was a nonviolent organisation for fifty odd years, and then said. This has gone so far. We we are so frustrated. We are now taking up arms, and and in many respects, the rest of the the, the world uh, kind of nodded and said, "Well, mm, uh, is there any other alternative?" The same thing has happened already, hasn't it? It's too late for a peaceful, non-violent approach by Palestinians. That's the way many people outside interpret it. I think absolutely the opposite. First of all, we've tried military struggle and, uh, at one point of time, and uh, I know that in principle Palestinians are entitled to all forms of struggle as long as they don't violate international law or attack civilians. But nevertheless, I'm totally uh, confident that nonviolence is the best approach to follow now, uh, not only because 95% of the time the Palestinian struggle was nonviolent and was effective then, but also because I think this is the best and most effective way of showing uh, uh, the, the, the just cause of the Palestinian people and of achieving results. Even in the case of South Africa, as you said, there was an element of military struggle. But I think you would agree with me that the main forms of struggle in South Africa that prevailed eventually and led to the end of apartheid were nonviolent forms mass popular struggle across the country. But there is a factor that was necessary to make this succeed in South Africa, and it would be also necessary in our case. Without it, nonviolence alone will not work, and that is international solidarity, and specifically acts of sanctions on the Israeli apartheid system. I think if Israel continues this behavior, there should be a combination of nonviolence from Palestinian side and, and acts of divestment, sanctions, and boycott campaigns 
against this Israeli policy till Israel abides by international law and agrees to end occupation and apartheid. Yet, yet there is no sign at all of talk of sanctions. I mean, there is, talk, there is a lot of huffing and puffing about the settlement process, and both the Americans and the British have been quite strong in their condemnation, but it stops there. Uh, not really. I think during the last year we've witnessed a very important uh, development, uh, a big rise and success of uh, movement for uh, boycott, divestment, sanctions. Yes. I'll give you one example. The 53 trade unions in Britain uh, decided about uh, five weeks ago that, uh, and they have about seven million members to join uh, boycott divestment sanctions campaign and uh, they are now trying to exercise pressure on the British government to stop any form of military cooperation with Israel. I think that's very serious. Uh, on, on the other hand, the finance minister of Norway has decided to divest from many Israeli companies that are investing in military actions. We see similar activities now in Hampshire College in the United States. Uh, we see the same with Presbyterian churches also in the United States. So it's a growing movement that, in my opinion, going in the right, in the right direction. We are just seeing the beginning of it. And if, if as in the case of South Africa, uh, first it starts at the level of the people, at the grassroots level, then it uh, maybe attracts parliamentarians, and governments come late. As a matter of fact, although Nelson Mandela... Uh, is perceived as the most honorable man of this world, and so many American presidents were trying to have photo opportunity with him during the last decade. It was uh, extremely surprising to discover for me about a year uh, and a half ago that the man was still on the terrorist list of the American Congress. <laughs> and that, that was changed just recently. So uh, believe me, I think, uh, uh, I mean, I, I am a person who is optimistic about the future. Uh, I know only one thing, that uh, this campaign of nonviolence and uh, sanctions campaign will work, uh, but maybe it will not be able to save the two-state solution. That is quite possible. Maybe we will end up, uh, if Israel destroys that option and crosses, crosses that point of irreversibility, then the solution will not be two-state solution. It will be one state with democratic equal rights for everybody. What I am sure of is that mm. we, the Palestinians, will never accept to be slaves of occupation or apartheid. Aren't we seeing a situation where, with, as the settlements proceed we are approaching a kind of fait accompli where, certainly the West Bank, there will be no uh, scope for Palestinian uh, reoccupation because it will be filled up with Israeli settlers. As, as has happened in a whole range of other countries, this fait accompli becomes the norm and the rest of the international community accepts it uh, because they have no choice. Aren't we approaching that, that point you are right in, in, in relationship only to one aspect of it, which is the two-state solution. You are right that maybe we are approaching a moment where so many settlements are and will prevent the possibility of the establishment of a truly independent sovereign Palestinian state. And, of course, Israel will be pushing for creating pantostans and ghettos and prisons and call them a state, if you like. But that will not be a state. And that means the death of two-state solution. That is quite possible. I agree with you. But 
I don't think this will be the end of the Palestinian struggle for liberty and freedom. On the contrary, I think so many Palestinians will probably at that point of time gather around the new approach demanding or going back to the same old slogan we had before, which is to have one democratic state for everybody. The demographic presence here, the determination of the Palestinian people, and the use of nonviolence approach, in my opinion, will empower us to bring down and uh, this uh, segregation and apartheid system. How much of this depends upon the some kind of rapprochement between Fatah and Hamas? People outside see clear divisions between the two entities. They say these people can never agree with each other. Why should we support them? First of all, I don't agree with the notion that they cannot agree with each other because I myself was the mediator uh, in creating a national unity government which included both Fatah Hamas, us, and uh, the Palestinians, the whole Palestinian spectrum. That government failed only because Israel managed to mobilize the United States and Europe and the international community to mostly take a stand against the national unity government and put it under embargo and uh, a boycott practically. Uh, had the international community accepted that national unity government, which which had a very flexible political program, I think we would have succeeded. But again, why did case, they not accept it? Because Israel did not want that, and because I think the United States did not have an independent policy for Israel, and the United States pressured so many countries, including Europe, to to accept it. Uh, so uh, that was the reason. And uh, I, today I believe that we can have unity again. But that would require absolutely uh, acceptance of the world to accept Palestinian choice. And uh, I know that this terrible dispute between Fatah and Hamas is an awful thing. Uh, it reflects a struggle about an authority that practically does not exist because it is all under occupation. Uh, But it is our duty to continue to try, uh, not only to have unity again, but to regain the democratic Palestinian internal system, where people will have the chance again to democratically vote uh, and decide who should be their leaders. How much influence in all of this do other powers in the Middle East have, notably Iran? I think this is, uh, I mean, one of the sad things, actually, is that the Palestinian case or the Palestinian field or Palestine itself uh, is subjected to so many interventions from the nearby countries, from the regional power, and uh, that is uh, something that is hurting our future. Uh, And the first force that interferes in our internal business is Israel itself, which practically is trying to decide who should be our leader, and practically is trying to decide who should be even negoti- be negotiating with Israel on our behalf. Uh, that is awful. Uh, but other countries also interfere. And uh, that's why I think uh, the only way to gain unity in Palestine is to neutralize uh, as much as possible all these external factors and uh, to find a way of convincing the leaders of all Palestinian parties that, in, that the interest of their own people is much more important than the interest of these regional powers that try to interfere in our case. Is, is it the case that uh, Iran attracts Shiite support, uh, but that is a minority in, uh, in uh, Palestine, 
uh, and that there is there is there is a majority who are effectively Sunni or Christian who who would want something other than uh, paying homage to Iran. First of all, let me tell you, there are no Shia Palestinians at all. Uh, all most Palestinian Muslims are Sunni, and uh, the relationship between Iran and Hamas, if you're asking about that, is not mm -hmm. a relationship based on religious. Uh, uh, sect aspect. I think it's an alliance of interest and alliance uh, that is uh, practically related to the fact that Hamas is facing so many troubles and seeking support from everywhere. But uh, I do not think that it has this character that would characterize the relationship between Iran and Hezbollah, for instance. But what happens next? I mean, so long as Hamas is is seeking support from Iran and in, clearly encouraging Iran to posture in a in a even in a nuclear sense in the region, there will be no stability. There is no hope of stability, and uh, and that in itself surely completely undermines the hope of any, uh, not not least a two-state uh, solution in Palestine. I think on this issue I uh, should uh, clarify a few points. First of all, I don't think this is the main reason why we are not having unity. It's not Iran which is the main reason why we are not having unity. I think the main reason why we don't have unity is uh, Israel and uh, the unfortunate American policy that still follows the Israeli directions. And uh, I believe if, we, if that particular objection to national unity is neutralized, I don't think Iran can stop it. Uh, because there is also a majority, a certain majority inside Hamas, if they can feel that their uh, future is guaranteed as a political force within the political system and that they would not be crushed and that uh, they would be accepted as part of the Palestinian movement, uh, I don't think that, would be, uh, that, that having unity would be a problem. Uh, so it's very important to clarify here that it is not Iran that is calling the shots here. Uh, and uh, that if a situation arises where all external factors would be neutralized, I think we can have unity easily. How important, uh, how symbolic is the wall that, that exists now uh, separating Palestinian from Jew effectively? Is it going to become a symbolic target for dissent? Uh, and will it become eventually the equivalent of the of the Berlin Wall, something which the rest of the world recognises has to be pulled down? So, in, will it? I guess my question is: Will it become an asset rather than a liability for the Palestinian cause? It's hard to call it an asset because it is destroying the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. So many people have died because they could not cross the wall to get medical aid. So many women to give birth at checkpoints and lost their children. So many people today are unable to get proper education or proper health care because of this terrible wall. Uh, so it can never be described as an asset. But the wall has become a target. The wall has become a symbol of segregation and apartheid. And it definitely is gaining uh, ground in terms of being uh, compared to Berlin Wall. Uh, this wall is even much worse than what Berlin Wall used to be. It's three times the length and twice as high as Berlin Wall used to be. Uh, it is uh, not only creating segregation, 
is actually destroying the contiguity of Palestinian land, transforming most of the Palestinian territories into practically ghettos or prison-like entities. And I think uh, there is one very important positive side of that, and that is if you bring somebody to this region who, ha who, who doesn't have proper information about the situation and just allow them to see the wall and visit the wall, Within a day, they would realize what is the problem here. Yeah. And in that sense, the wall has become like a very clear evidence of injustice, of occupation, and of segregation and apartheid. And I hope this will help people understand that we need a change of this situation. In 2004, I think it was, the International Court of Justice declared the wall and its associated exclusion areas contrary to international law and demanded that it, be mis that it be dismantled. But there was no response from Israel. I is there no further recourse in international law, in your view? Is that the end of the matter? I think what is needed now is that this decision of the International uh, Court of Justice should be taken to the United Nations General Assembly, and then we should demand the initiation of sanctions on Israel till it abides by international law and implement that resolution. Is there any sign of that happening? Well, we've taken the decision to take it back to General Assembly, and we will see. I see this as a process of accumulation that will gradually change, and hopefully, with the pressure of peoples of the world, there will be a change of positions of governments. But I think the most recent Goldstone report and uh, the way it was approved, in the, uh, regardless of Israeli and American pressures, the way it was approved in the General Assembly is only an indicator of what will happen in the future. Israel now has been exposed as a country that committed seven war crimes that come close to crimes against humanity in Gaza. And I think the nature of the segregation system it has created is becoming clearer and clearer. Mm. That's why I think as long as they continue this policy, the only effective response will be sanctions combined, of course, with nonviolent resistance here. You've got an election coming up uh, in due course, uh, and I understand President Abbas has decided not to run for a second term as president. Who will run? Will you? It depends on whether we have a fair and free election system. We have to guarantee. We had cases of fraud before. We don't want to have that again. I don't think Palestine should have a similar situation like Afghanistan had. So the main condition for our participation in elections is first to make sure that this election will include all the Palestinian territories without exception and that there will be sufficient guarantees that the elections will be fair and free and that there will be no fraud or falsification. If these conditions are there, of course we will consider the possibility of participation, uh, not only on with, with presidential, but also legislative council elections. Are you confident you can bring the two parties together? You've stood off the, the Hamas and Fatah, and, and, and as you said before, acted as a, as a negotiator uh, in the past. Are you confident you can bring the two together? We will try. We will never lose hope. And uh, we, will, uh, we hope that there will be more popular pressure on both sides to get to that point of unity, because I think the more the division continues, the more both parties, Fatah and Hamas, will lose. Yeah, that was democracy activist and former Palestinian presidential candidate, and perhaps candidate again, Mustafa Barghouti.
Now, listening to that interview, and joining me now is Dor Sapira, spokesperson for the Israeli embassy in Canberra. Good morning, Dor. Good morning, Chris. Nice to have you on the program. Thank you. Do you agree that the peace process seems to be going nowhere? Absolutely not. First of all, uh, there have been discussion between Israeli and the Palestinians since 1993, officially, of course, mm. and they're still going on. Only a year and a half ago, we had the Annapolis uh, summit, and there are still discussions between Israeli and Palestinians to find a better future uh, for both of us. My Prime Minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu, about uh, three months ago, declared in his uh, Bar Ilan speech that he is ready for two-state solution. That was the first time that he, as a, as a new Prime Minister, indicated that, and that he is ready to go back to the table of discussions with the Palestinians with no conditions any time. But that's, uh, that uh, proposition has been on the table on and off uh, for, as you say, since 1993, but very little ever happens. And in the meantime, the settlement policy uh, goes ahead, extremely provocative in the minds, it seems, of most of the Western world. Why is this settlement policy now being pushed ahead in the way it is? I think, uh, Chris, if you ask me, there is uh, some kind of uh, misleading uh, by the Palestinian uh, side in the last few months regarding the settlements, because how can the settlements be the reason for not having peace when over the last at least 10 years we had two Israeli prime ministers who offered the Palestinians more than 97% of the West Bank including dismantling most of the, of the settlements and giving them all this land, and they refused. In Camp David, at the year of 2000, Prime Minister Barack, together with uh, President Clinton, offered Arafat almost everything, including some discussion about Jerusalem, and he refused. So it has nothing to do with the settlements. The settlement is not a condition to start negotiation. It should be a part of the solution. But the settlement process is is spreading again. There's no doubt about that, unless uh, we're being misled by the world's media. I don't think it's being spread because there aren't any new settlements that are being uh, built. There is uh, natural growth, what we call it. So if there are people who have more children, they need more school. So they will build another uh, kindergarten or will build another school if needed. Why then is the British British government and the American government complaining? I think it's, it's the, first of all, I don't want to be the spokesperson of the British government and the American government. It's difficult enough to be the Israeli, don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure it is. But, uh, but I, th- I think that, you know, when there are times that uh, things are a little bit stuck, you try to find uh, reasons for not, uh, for not having the uh, ability to, to continue the process. Because, look, a 2005 Prime Minister uh, uh, Sharon dismantled all the settlements in Gaza removing more than 10,000 uh, Jewish people from their house, from their houses in two days in order to achieve a better future, which we found that it never happened, of course, but we've shown that we are ready to do that. We did it in, with uh, a peace agreement with uh, Egypt in Sinai. We did it with the Palestinian in Hebron. We did it in Gaza, and we will do it again once there will be an agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Will you do it in the West Bank? Of course. Yeah. It's on discussions. But you cannot do it before the discussions. Let's first of all sit, decide, decide the borders of the two states. The Palestinians will accept the conditions, the Israeli will accept the conditions, and it will go on. What is your understanding of the policy of Hamas, uh, at least in practical terms as well as in its constitution, with regard to the right of Israel to exist? What is actually happening? If 
you're talking about Hamas, yes. then it's, it's very easy. They don't believe in the right of Israel to exist. Look, there is a, a, I know a discussion, should we engage with the Hamas or not? By the way, Israel is not the only one who is not engaging with the Hamas. Also hmm. Canada and America and uh, Australia and United States, all of them are not engaging with the Hamas because it's considered to be a terror organization. But I'm not against engaging with them. I know that, you know, for peace process, you need to uh, speak with your enemies. But in order to do that, I think the Hamas need to accept three very practical and reasonable conditions. The first one is recognized in the other side, recognize the existence of Israel. The second one, recognize all the previous agreements that were signed between Israel and the Palestinians so we could carry on. And the third one, which is a very important one, is to stop all the terror attacks. You cannot sit with a with the terror organization and, dis and discuss with them while they are launching uh, rockets on Israeli cities. Well, this is an interesting point. I mean, Mr. Barghouti was saying that the Palestinians feel that they have a right to use an armed response, as well as peaceful negotiations, as long as they don't attack civilians. You would say that the rocket attacks are a violation of that. Of course. The rockets are, you know, they don't have an, an address. They do have an address. They are addressed to, to an Israeli cities. They're falling on Sderot. They're falling on Tivot. Falling even on Ashkelon and Ashdod, there isn't any army army base on those uh, cities. And they would say this is the only way in which they have uh, an ability to express themselves, is that is that the word? Uh, because they have no other options. And I must uh, disagree with them. I don't think that's the option. The option is to sit and to find a solution, like they did in '93, and like uh, we did in 2000, and like we will do also. We did also last year in Annapolis. And we can do it again. How much does all of this turn on the, the fact that Israel can only ever be safe uh, in the context of a binding peace agreement? Uh, the longer this goes on, surely with new generations of Palestinians coming through in Gaza who are, have this deep embedded hatred of Israel, justified or unjustified, it's there and it's it is more embedded. It is going to be more difficult to stop these people from attacking um, Israelis in future. Isn't it in Israel's interest to have a peace agreement um, as soon as possible? And the longer this goes on, the less chance Israel effectively has of ever getting rid of, uh, of the, the problem of, of assaults from outside. Chris, I have two, two little children. Believe me, I don't want them to go to fight in wars. Believe me, I want them to live in a peaceful country. I want them to, to be able to, you know, to live in a country even without borders, to live with, uh, to go, to, to pass the road and to go and visit uh, a Palestinian friend. But unfortunately, the reality is not like that. And it, after Israel was established as a, as a country, we, the Prime Minister has approached all the surrounding Arab countries and told them, look, we are ready for negotiations, we're ready for peace. Unfortunately, most of them went with the war with Israel over the years, over and over again. Luckily, in the last uh, 60 years, we had two countries who approached, you know, came back to Israel with, uh, with the idea that, yeah, we want to do peace with you. It was Egypt and it was Jordan. And since then, we have two stability uh, peace with those two countries we are still willing to have you know to speak with everyone with all the countries that are surrounding us with the palestinians with the lebanese with the syrian with everyone and hopefully we'll get there one day and i don't think it's something for the future i think it's something for the present how much does that depend on united states policy um, everything turns on the way in which the u.s approaches these 
issues and the timing and the style and uh, involved. How much more uh, active is the United States under the new administration in this area? Look, I think the United States is a very important uh, element in all this process. But unlike Dr. Barghouti, I don't think that Israel is such a big influence on the United States and the United States is such a big influence on this process. I think that at the end of the day, in order to carry on this process, it's up to the Israelis and the Palestinians to decide that they want to do it, to sit together and to find a solution. Mm. Let's l- let's it talk doesn't a- matter how many times uh, Secretary General Clinton will get to the region. Without this willingness, it will never happen. Mm. Let's talk about the wall, because the wall in many ways and to many people is the worst kind of symbolism. It is something which has been put up and which is a becomes a target for pulling down in symbolic terms, which is providing, I suppose, in a in a sense, a rallying point for Palestinian action. And we're seeing a bit of action against the wall. The wall itself is an awful symbol, surely. First of all, to call it a wall, I think it's... Uh, what would you call it otherwise? True. 97% of it is a fence. It's a fence like a normal wire fence. Mm. 3% of that, it's a wall, only in those areas that they didn't have any other other choice because they had to protect the the building there from snipers. And the fence was built as a security measure to keep terrorism out. And the fact is that the security fence has resulted in a sharp decrease in suicide bombing attacks on Israeli citizens. If you remember, in 2002, we had the Second Intifada. During the Second Intifada, we had almost two terror attacks a day or a week of... Uh, Suicide bombers who got into cities like Tel Aviv, like Haifa, like Jerusalem, blew themselves up in cafe, cafe shops, in uh, in malls, in bus, in buses, killing hundreds and hundreds of uh, people. Not only Israelis, Israelis, Jewish, Muslim, Christian. You know, a, a suicide bomber doesn't ask for your ID before he blows himself up. Mm. And today, in the last few years, we have less than two attacks, maybe two attacks a year. So at the end of the day, it's working. And, and, and the goal of this, of this fence, this security fence, is not to separate anything, but to save life and to stop terror attacks. That's it, and it's working. But in effect, the Palestinians are saying it is, it's, it's, from their perspective, it has resulted in loss of life through lack of access uh, to medications, thing, things like that. So, uh, so it, it cuts both ways. At, at the, uh, for a, any claim like that, I think, should be investigated and, and need to be checked. That's, first, that's the first thing that mm-hmm. I will tell you, because we are a democratic country. We need to check it. And I, I don't know about uh, maybe there is a story here or there, an incident, but if there is, it should be checked. But at the end of the day, that's not a reason uh, not to stop uh, the terror attacks and not to be able to save lives of hundreds and hundreds of people. I tell you more, more than that. Most of the people also in Israel don't like the fence, because it's like having a border before you have a solution. Mm. They would prefer not to have a fence. They prefer even to have uh, open borders. But unlike uh, New Zealand, we don't have an ocean as our border. And unlike New Zealand, we, don't have, we have neighbors that want to destroy us. So we are not that fortunate like you, and we have to defend ourselves somehow. Uh, one understands that. Uh, it, if at the bottom line, this fence is working, and on the one hand there is a quality life of some people uh, that is being uh, you know, uh, accused by this uh, fence, and on the other hand, I can save hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm sorry, I prefer to save the lives of people. Mm-hmm. In spite of the brutality of the of the imagery that, that will inevitably build up. The International Court of Justice 
ruled that this was an illegal uh, edifice. And I, uh, I take it from that, that and, and the Israeli government has ignored that judgment. It will continue to ignore that judgment and, and to ignore international law. Israel is not ignoring international law. Israel is uh, going, according to international law, what happened in Hague in 2004 was, uh, I don't want to call it a circus, but it was a kind of, and uh, I don't know if you remember then the, the picture that came out of there, and, and the countries who took it to Hague and were hmm. the representative of this issue, uh, if you remember who were, who were they are, some of them, I wouldn't say are the most uh, democratic and uh, going according to international law. Uh, but a judgment is a judgment, surely. Yeah, but the, regardless but, of who brings it. But the judgment, Israel didn't participate in this uh, in this act, and uh, no. I think it was misled by the by those who sh- shown those uh, who attended this uh, issue and uh, represented the, the case there. And at the end of the day, most of the Western countries also ignored it and said that this wasn't the right way. How to how you should uh, react to what's going on there. I'll tell you one thing regarding uh, the, the legal aspect of uh, the fence. Every Palestinian, and not only Palestinian, also Israeli, who feels that he is affected by the fence, it's, it's uh, going through his land or something like that, can apply to the Israeli Supreme Court and, uh, and ask them to change the route of the fence. And since the, the fence was started, they started to build it in 2004, they still haven't finished it. Now, for six years, not to finish to build the fence, I must say that even I can build it, I think, in less than six years. But they haven't finished it yet because every time someone is applying to the Supreme Court, a Palestinian is applying to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court decides to stop the building of the fence, it checks the claim of the Palestinians, and if they are right, they are changing the routes. And that's what happened not once and not twice, even more than ten times. Uh, so the Palestinians use it, is, are using this tool, and it's fine. Uh, uh, well, one would expect that they would. Yeah, they should. Mr. Barghouti used the word Bantustanization of Palestine. Now, that's a very uh, inflammatory kind of word, but it, uh, it has a particular meaning, and in many respects, that is what's happening. Again, I didn't get the question. I'm sorry. Well, Mr. Barghouti used the word Bantustanization, the creation of Bantustans, as he sees it. I mean, yes, it's a strong word, but that's what's effectively going to happen. Inevitably. There's no way of avoiding that, isn't there? Look, I think there is a solution. I think that we can uh, we can find the right way to go toward two-state solution. I'll, I'll tell you something that Mr. Roguti didn't speak about and is very well aware of, and it's what's going on in the West Bank uh, in the last year. Uh, as the security situation has improved over the last year in the West Bank, Israel has taken uh, steps to improve the freedom of movement and quality of life of the Palestinians. We removed more than 140 checkpoints and roadblocks <clears throat> sorry, in the rest of the months in the West Bank. And we, we can see results. In the West Bank, during the last year of the big economic crisis, 7% annual growth in the economic in the West Bank had happened. And that's only because of the measures of the Israelis and the Palestinians working together in the West Bank to find a better solution. You have more and more Israelis... Uh, business coming into the West Bank and trying them to build the infrastructure for their country. And it's working. So I think that at the end of the day, the Palestinians will have to choose. It's either they want to go toward the future that is right now happening in the West Bank or toward the future that is happening right now in Gaza under the Hamas. 
Yes, one wonders why the conditions for peace are not in place then. Oh, nice to talk to you. That's uh, Dor Sapira, the embassy spokesman from the Israeli embassy in Canberra.